This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which I think I should start out by thanking our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones of Dr. Andy's Poetry Technology Hour for suggesting during his hour broadcast last week that people call up the program during Radio Parallax's broadcast and wish me a happy birthday. Thank you, Dr. Andy, and thank you to all of you who called. Yes, yours truly and the immortal Jack Benny. 39. And on a more sobering note, I took up a book that's been sitting on my shelf for quite some time and um, was frankly blown away by what I read. The book was The First Casualty, author Philip Knightley. This book dates back to the mid-70s. I'm not quite sure when I bought it and put it on the shelf, but it's been a long while. I should have read it earlier. I thought I knew a lot of this history, but um, I realized I, I had some gaps in my knowledge. I will hopefully... Fill your gaps, dear listener, uh, during this program by taking a few excerpts from that remarkable book and, um, well, just discussing them. I'm startled to know upon looking it up on Wikipedia that the author Philip Knightley is still alive. He is 86 years old. He's from Australia, and he's described on Wikipedia as currently being a visiting professor of journalism at the University of Lincoln, England. Mr. McMillan, we really should make an effort to get Mr. Knightley on this program. Make a note of that. And uh, we're still uh, hoping to get Rich Cohn on the program to talk about his book, The Fish That Ate the Whale. These are two wonderful efforts. Well, don't don't write us off yet. We're going to see if we can't get both these guys on there. Rich Cohn did write back and says, yes, he was available, but um, I've not been able to track him down. He is a busy man. But I really got to say, Philip Knightley wrote one hell of a book, and he apparently wrote... (laughs) Numerous other books which could be described as a hell of a book. Anyway, we'll talk about that, I think, in our second segment today. You know, sometimes I think I shouldn't try and talk about guests we're going to bring on. We, we usually manage to land them. There have been a few that have slipped through our grasp, but we're, we still believe we're going to bring Daniel Ellsberg on here. And uh, we do intend to bring you Emily Lakdawalla to talk about the New Horizons mission to Pluto. One of the problems with um, bringing Emily on in the immediate future is that the data streaming back from Pluto is coming back very, very slowly. Apparently at 1 14th the rate of an old cell phone. This is due to the fact that uh, the transmitter has got something like 14 watts, like, like that of a refrigerator light bulb, and it is broadcasting from 3 billion miles away. And since the strength of a signal, like, like the strength of light, another type of electromagnetic radiation, falls off as the square of the distance, well... It's not exactly a powerful beam we're receiving here on Earth. So they're, they're planning to, to basically download what was put into the, the um, spacecraft's memory during the flyby and then transmit it back over the next 16 months. Still, we're going to get, they're going to they're gonna send us the good stuff you know, sooner rather than later. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to probably see some very cool pictures. We hope so. At any rate, let us begin this program, as we like to do traditionally, with on this date in history. Our date today would be the 23rd of July. 
It was on July 23rd in 776 BC that the first Olympic Games opened in Olympia, Greece. This might have marked the first and last time the Greeks were able to organize anything. And we know that's really unkind, but we're not sure it's all that inaccurate. And here's one I had no inkling of. It was on July 23rd in 1827 that the first swimming school in the United States opened in Boston, Massachusetts. Famous former students included John Quincy Adams and John James Audubon. But not, so far as we know, Johnny Weissamiller. It was on July 23rd in 1848, when protesting slavery, as well as U.S. involvement in the Mexican War, American author Henry David Thoreau refused to pay his $1 poll tax and was casually arrested and jailed. When told he could leave the next day, he angrily objected. Evidently, Leo Tolstoy and Mohandas Gandhi later read his written account of the experience, and it persuaded them to advocate for civil disobedience. And here's an item we need some special music for. The item is that on July 23rd in 1962, the Telstar satellite sent the first major live television broadcast between the United States and Europe. And I have to confess, I remember this. Or at least one of the early broadcasts. And yes, it was an amazing thing to be looking at pictures from Europe and being advised that you're seeing it as it's happening now. It was not filmed and shipped across the Atlantic in an airplane. But yes, I'm, I'm still 39 years of age. But uh, FYI, the music we just played was from the hit Telstar by the British band The Tornadoes. All right, and our first on Radio Parallax, our quote of the day has some theme music. Our quote comes from Omar Sharif, who passed away this week. As noted in his obituary in The Week magazine, Omar Sharif's first appearance in Western cinema was one of the most memorable entrances in film history. In the 1962 epic Lawrence of Arabia, he appears as a tiny speck on the desert horizon before slowly coming into view through the shimmering heat riding on a camel and shooting dead a Bedouin guide. Sharif received an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of the Arab warrior Sharif Ali, the tribal leader with whom Peter O'Toole's T.E. Lawrence teams up. He was quite a guy, and we'll mention him a little bit more in our obituary section in segment three, but the quote we're getting to for today's show is, the reason I quit is, and we should preface this with the fact that he was a notorious gambler and actually a world expert in playing bridge, said Cherie, the reason I quit playing bridge is because I wasn't as good as I used to be. And now it's the same thing with girls. So why the aggravation? Our clip of the day comes from author Kurt Vonnegut, who once said, True terror is to wake up one morning and realize that your high school class is running the country. Our stat of the day, and it is an unhappy one, is that supporters of Jeb Bush have donated a record $114 million to his presidential campaign and super PAC since the beginning of the year, at least twice as much as his closest Republican competitor, and far more than the $60 million raised so far by... Hillary Clinton. 
Our good news item for today's show, and I hope this is correct because I have my doubts about it, is that apparently cod are making a comeback. The International Council for the Exploration of the Sea in Copenhagen has recommended the first major catch increase for the North Sea cod since 2000, as it says the stock has climbed back above danger levels. Also, figures to be released later this year by Canada's Fisheries Ministry shows that the cod stocks in the Grand Banks are up for the third year in a row, although they are not out of danger yet. Fisheries experts on both sides of the Atlantic agree there's no mystery to this. Fishers stopped killing so many cod and the population recovered, although it's taking its time. We should note that the 1992 moratorium on cod fishing in the Grand Banks still remains in effect which is a horrible thing to contemplate. Uh, This was considered to be the world's most productive fishery, I believe, and overzealous fishing crashed the population. let's, Let's hope it, too, is on the way back. Our anecdote of the week is that Broadway legend Patti LuPone, apparently in the middle of a scene in an off-Broadway show last week, walked up to a theater goer who was busily texting, snatched the device right out of her hands while staying in character and later dumped it backstage. (laughs) Said Lupone, we work hard on stage to create a world that is being totally destroyed by a few rude, self-absorbed and inconsiderate audience members who are controlled by their phones. Why are people coming to the theater if they don't want the theatrical experience? To which we have to say, hello, good for Patti Lupone who I have a secret crush on after seeing her play Evita back, uh, back in the 80s. She was sensational. Our joke of the day is as follows. A drunk guy was driving the wrong way down a one-way street. A cop pulled him over and said, Buddy, didn't you see the arrows? Arrows, said the drunk. I didn't even see the Indians. Yes, and if someone wants to write in and complain about our use of the Tomahawk Chop theme song to illustrate that joke, well, all we can say is grow up, and while you're at it, get a life. Of course, I hasten to add that the characterization of those who object to the Tomahawk Chop theme song as being somewhat immature individuals is an opinion, like all opinions heard on this program, which does not necessarily represent the views of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Having said that, Mr. Millen played again. All right, and we love to, to bag on water stories in this program because, uh, well, the whole issue in California is so ridiculous. Fools out there are thinking that letting their lawns go brown is going to help when what it really means is the water that they leave in the reservoirs gets shipped away for others to use in agriculture, who aren't even bothering to cut back on their planting of new trees. That's how bad this is. But at any rate, according to The Week, Tom Selleck of Magnum P.I. has settled a lawsuit with the California Water Agency that charged he was siphoning off water from a municipal hydrant for his avocado farm. The Calleguas... Municipal Water District said it had spotted a water delivery truck repeatedly filling up at a hydrant in Thousand Oaks and then delivering it to a 60-acre ranch and farm owned by Tom Selleck. In court, it was revealed that a local construction company had paid for the legal right to take water from the hydrant and was free to sell it to a third party. 
Apparently, there's nothing illegal about this. This is how screwed up our water policy is in the state of California, and we'll return to that topic, just, just not today. At this point, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for revenge. After a Texas judge awarded $229,000 in punitive damages to a woman who'd received 153 robocalls from Time Warner Cable attempting to collect a bill she didn't owe. Boy, that's almost two grand per harassment call. I wish I could get that for the jackasses that call me. And, and no, I don't mean bill collectors. I mean telemarketers. And it was a bad week last week for living life with the news that Americans spend an average of about three hours a day looking at their smartphones. And it was an ugly week last week for parsimoniousness, or shall we say being a cheapskate, with the news that a member of the UK boy band Rewind apparently passed out from heat exhaustion on a flight to Glasgow because he put on 12 layers of clothing to avoid excess baggage fees. What do you bet next time he pays the 50 bucks? And it was both a good and bad week last week for a walk on the beach with the news that California officials announced that they would open a public access pathway to Malibu's so-called Billionaire's Beach, ending a decades-long battle with homeowners who were trying to keep the coastline exclusively private, which is just not legal, folks. So good week for the public, bad week for the billionaires. And finally, it was probably a good, bad, or ugly week last week, depending on how you look at it, for Norwegian law enforcement with the revelation that apparently Norwegian police fired their guns only twice during the whole of 2014. Neither shot killed or injured anyone. It's noted that most Norwegian police patrol unarmed and only carry guns in special circumstances. Now, on the one hand, it makes you say, isn't that wonderful for Norwegians? And it is true that they don't have a lot of guns there, and that saves a lot of violence. On the other hand, Mr. Anders Brevik was apparently able to murder, what was it, 73 people at a, uh, a church camp without anybody arriving to take him out in a timely fashion. Uh, we think they may want to just, you know, have guns at the ready once in a while over in Norway. That's just, you know, my personal opinion. And from the Only in America file, or is it the Holy Patty Lupone file, we have this item. An audience member at a Broadway show titled Hand to God climbed up on stage last week and tried to charge his cell phone by plugging it into a prop outlet. Crew members escorted the man off the stage and informed the startled crowd that the outlets on, on the set are not there for you to charge your iPhone. Now, you wouldn't think they'd have to explain that to an audience. But it does appear that audiences are changing. Maybe they're being more and more composed of adult people who are spending, who are spending three hours a day staring at their smartphones and need to recharge them. All right, I got a couple other miscellaneous items that we just, just have to mention because, well, some of them are kind of distressing here. The first is that according to Slate.com, as much as 40% of America's food supply gets thrown out every day. Yes, thrown out 
every day. The total annual food waste bill for consumers is $162 billion. American families waste between $1,300 and $2,300 worth of food annually. You know, I've read estimates if you just could take the food that we're throwing away and convert it into biodiesel, we could do a lot of good. We suspect that, unfortunately, the food industry puts pull dates on some of their items that are, well, they ensure that you sell more food and make more money, but that they're very conservative. You can actually eat the food long past the date in which it should be sold by or it's best by. And on a much happier note, how about this item? According to Observer.com, old-fashioned terrestrial radio still reaches more adults than any other medium. According to Nielsen, 93% of American adults listen to either an AM or FM radio weekly. 87%, on the other hand, watch television, while 70% use smartphones on a given week. And speaking of radio, apparently Garrison Keillor is going to retire. Again, only this time he apparently means it. In an interview last Monday, Keeler told the AP that he plans to step down as host after next season, following four decades of entertaining listeners with his baritone voice and folksy comedy sketches about Lake Wobegon. I have sometimes been a Garrison Keeler fan. When he's on, he's been, he's been pretty on. At least some of the comedy revolving around uh, Lake Wobegon has, has been some pretty amusing stuff over the years. Unfortunately, to get to some of that, you have to endure some, you know, gospel singing and the like, which, which is not this correspondent's cup of tea. But Mr. Keeler is heard on nearly 700 public radio stations each week, and the show is heard by 4 million listeners, so we have to take our hat off to him. And we do admit that we did have one of his ensemble on this program as a guest many years ago. That would be sound effects wizard Fred Newman who had written a book about how to make all kinds of interesting sound effects. And if we'd been better students of Mr. Newman's book, we probably would be, have inserted more of his sound effect repertoire in this program. But alas, I, I guess I wasn't up to the task. Although you should ask Mr. McMillan sometime to do his sound effect rendition of bacon frying on a hot skillet. It's a real crowd pleaser. You'll probably have to get him really liquored up at a party, though. You know, another item of good news we have to cite in addition to uh, COD coming back is that we're now seeing a new era hopefully beginning in U.S.-Cuban relations. The Cuban embassy in Washington has reopened. The American embassy in Havana is slated to do so next month. Damn, it's about time. After making four trips to the island republic of Cuba, I do have to note that... uh, the embargo and all of this nonsense of supposedly punishing them for this and that really hurt the Cuban people. It didn't really slow the government down much, a government which I have to admit I'm not much of a fan of. But uh, thankfully now, uh, cooler heads are prevailing, and we're just, we're just going to normalize things and, and move forward. God, God, I'm glad to see this. I gather Secretary of State John Kerry will be in Havana next uh, August 14th when, uh, when things open up, or at least the embassy opens up. And of course, we should note there are, you know, some hardcore idiots out there that are still opposing this normalization of relations. Apparently, every single Republican candidate numbered among them. John Kerry compared the conflicting sentiments with the normalization of Cuba to that of U.S. ties with Vietnam 20 years ago. He said in both cases, passions ran deep and run deep to this day. Of course, if you go to Vietnam now and see, see the 
thriving capitalism found everywhere in the supposed communist nation of Vietnam. You have to guess that it's not going to be that long before Cuba turns uh, things away from, um, well, where they've been for decades. This may require both Castros to die for full implementation, but, you know, the fact is they can't live forever. And speaking of Republicans, we do have to make some comment on the fact that Donald Trump is more popular than ever after making inane comments about John McCain. The polls seem to show him as the Republican frontrunner. Naturally, we have to go to America's foremost political comic, Mr. Wilders, to see what he's got to say about some of this. Hey, guys. Will Durst here to fervently thank Donald Trump for entering the GOP presidential sweepstakes because whatever that man touches turns to loud. He's the gift that keeps on dribbling nonsense. Got all the delicacy of a tumbling dumpster. Not just a loose cannon, more like a loose aircraft carrier. You could say his campaign got off to a rocky start. You could also say that transatlantic telecommunications cables make lousy dental floss. Critics claim the man with the gravity-defying haircut had to hire extras to pretend to be supporters at his announcement, but another way of looking at it is he's already creating jobs. Then at the very beginning of a statement where he used the word I or I've or I'm two 144 times, and that doesn't even include me or we or us, the billionaire real estate developer went on some unfortunate illegal immigrant harangue, characterizing all Mexicans as drug-crazed rapists, demonstrating why veteran politicians foolishly rely on scriptwriters and teleprompters so they don't stick their foot so deep into their mouths they can tickle their spleen with their shoelaces. And the price the Donald paid for his bout of verbal incontinence? Shooting straight to the top of the Republican polls. Now, some folks in the GOP maintain that Trump is a Democratic mole designed to make them look like intolerant cretins. But they crocheted the ass hat. Shouldn't be surprised when somebody picks it off the shelf and walks around in it. You almost kind of get the feeling that Trump isn't as excited about being commander-in-chief as he is with the prospect of forcing a black couple with two young daughters from their Washington, D.C. home. But love him or hate him, you got to admit that when true patriots ask, how long will it take America to have a presidential candidate with a cologne named after him, that time has finally come. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. To this, we would hasten to add that while you may think Trump's an idiot and we may think Trump's an idiot, and Trump, in fact, may be an idiot, his fellow Republican candidates are not distancing themselves from his remarks about immigrants and John McCain, etc., because, well, apparently middle-class Republicans really admired Trump. And according to the Huffington Post, no less than 44% of Republicans think that Trump was totally right when he said that many Mexican immigrants are criminals, drug dealers, and rapists. This has prompted political pundit prostitutes like Gerald Seib, who writes for the WallStreetJournal.com, to say, well, don't dismiss Trump as a mere buffoon. Trump has homed in on an issue, immigration, that resonates deeply with white working-class Americans. Of course, I have to ask myself, what am I doing quoting an idiot that writes for the WallStreetJournal.com? 
I should be ashamed of myself. And I am. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.